I almost quit. Like seven years into my career, I almost was like, I'm, I'm sick of this. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to be doing graphic design anymore. Around that time is when I discovered motion graphics. I only post what I want to do more of. I may have been doing some lame projects, but I'm posting skateboard graphics that I did. Welcome back to another episode of the Rough Cut Club. I am your host, Joey Nicotra, here with my incredible co-host, Mr. Shane Reitzammer. Shane, how are you doing, bro? Great, man. Super stoked for today. This is a very unique episode. Yep. Today, we are actually guests in the house of Barton Damer, owner of ABC Studios, already been chewed. Barton, how you doing, man? Good, man. Thanks for coming out to the studio. Dude, Great we are ex- guys here. We are excited to be here, man. This is the first time we've ever done an episode outside of uh, our own studio, and so we are excited to be in your studio because, as you can tell, if you're watching this on YouTube, Barton has one of the coolest studios in the game, and uh, we're excited to be here, man. Yeah, it's cool. We don't get guests very often because our clientele is basically like all internet based, yeah. and so it's nice to have you guys in the house. I love it, man. Well, uh, for those that don't know, Barton and I's past. Um, barely missed each other most of our lives. We actually grew up in the same community, um, in the Dallas skate community, in the Dallas skate scene, uh, and somehow barely missed each other yeah. until later in life. And then both of us got into the filmmaking world, uh, and now we finally come together and are excited to chat. Um, and so before, like even before we met, one of your employees, Donnie, yes. uh, was actually the owner of the skate shop that I used to ride for. Yep. <laughs> and that's kind of like our, I guess, really uh, the glue between us, like the middle point. And so... Yeah, Donnie owned uh, Rhythm Skate Shop. Yeah. And then I used to go out to Grand Prairie every Wednesday, yeah. skate with the team, and go get wings yeah. uh, afterwards, buffalo wings afterwards. Yeah, and somehow, <laughs> even being on the team, our paths just like, yeah, <laughs> they, they miss each other. And so anyway, I'm glad to finally connect with you, dude. You're doing incredible things. And so I want to dive into um, your story. But even before that, I got to ask what it's like to have the most viral knee video on the, on the yeah, internet. Yeah. This is the famous knee. We got to get close over here. The bionic knee, man. Yeah, it's, uh, it's not as bad as it sounds. But I definitely posted it because the iPhone picked up some really crunchy things yeah, inside yeah. of my home gym. And uh, 7.1 million views later. Crazy, yeah. dude. Yeah, if y'all haven't seen it, check out Barton's Instagram. Yeah. He's got one of the craziest sounding knees. Uh, <laughs> we'll put the link yeah. in the, yeah. uh, in the link YouTube in the show episode notes, man. so you can go we check it joking, out. Man. It needs its own like account. Yeah. It's, like, <laughs> it's own fan page. That's <laughs> awesome. so awesome, man. Yeah. Well, uh, dude, for those that don't know you, uh, tell me a little bit about your journey um, and how you got into the film industry, man. Yeah, for sure. So, um just always grown up skateboarding um started at during the original back to the future saw michael j fox toe behind the car and <laughs> uh w- was sold on skateboarding ever since then um and then uh used to run a little skate park out of my church in washington dc and it was the only indoor skate park within several hours uh of of Washington DC. We have really harsh winters in uh, Washington DC. It's not uncommon to get eight to 12 inches of snow. You know, some people that are further up north is like, that's nothing. Uh, But every once in a while we get blizzards where it's 36 inches of snow. So it's pretty, compared to Dallas, the the winters are pretty harsh up there. 
and so as a result, we would get professional skateboarders from the East Coast coming there all the time. And uh, I was not a professional skateboarder, but I was sponsored by a local board company, local skate shop, and had blown out my knee for the second time uh, skateboarding there and wanted to stay involved. And so I picked up camera and started filming and editing because we had all this talent coming through the doors. And I was on the sidelines with a blown out ACL and meniscus. So I started filming and editing skate videos at that point and quickly found out that for me, sifting through video footage wasn't really what I was passionate about. I was creating these skateboard videos and the most fun that I was having was literally inside of iMovie. I was taking PNGs that I had designed in Photoshop and I was just using slide transitions and I was having little title cards for the skaters come in and out uh, using those types of like basic transitions in iMovie of all things. And that quickly got me into wanting to learn Final Cut Pro. I actually flew out to Los Angeles, took like a crash course on Final Cut Pro uh, at some film uh, school out there. And it was wild because in that course, I'm learning Final Cut Pro. And this was, this was literally like 19, uh, may have been 99, 2000, or definitely like early 2000s. And at that point, linear editing is all anybody knew and and editing and final cut was very new so i'm just like this little skate rat at the time using imovie and my classmates are literally editors for like vh1 and mtv and i'm like freaking out and i'm like we're on the same playing field mm. like these guys have been editing for 20 years i've been editing an imovie for like six months and we're both on the same playing field right now so it was pretty wild and just that little experience gave me a lot of confidence too, because it, just seeing how the tech changes things. Dude, that is so cool. One, one thing too that you mentioned that we actually have in common, uh, I actually had a, a, a skate park at my church too. Okay. <laughs> uh, growing up and that was like, it played a huge role in me becoming a filmmaker. Was that in Rockwell? No, it okay. wasn't. Um, but I think I know which one you're talking that about. That one I, is where I met Karsten Boyer. Dude, that's so <laughs> sick. Um, yeah. No, so this one was actually in Euless uh, okay. at the time. And that was like my intro into church. And yeah. the mentor of like that skate um, community yeah. is like the person who really guided me into filmmaking. He was like nice. a, a BMXer and, and filmmaker. Yep. And so I connected <laughs> with him in that same way. And that was like my first like freelancer that I had ever seen like do it well and so yeah. that's super cool man nice I feel like this is has to be like maybe the fifth or sixth episode that we've done too yeah. where we've interviewed skateboarders I had this thing I'm like so many skateboarders become filmmakers you know yeah. it's like the and I think Joey nailed it he's like it's the practice and the grind and like doing it over and over yeah. and like practicing yeah. a trick until you get it right yeah mm -hmm. and I think that mentality does transfer over into filmmaking and dialing and everything yes. whether it's a edit or an animation you know, yeah. making it. And so much tight. of that culture is like, if if you didn't capture it on video, you didn't do it. Right. Mm. It's like you can't you can't call your friends and say, guess what trick I learned. It's yeah. like, no, yeah. show me. Yeah. Like, where's the footage? Yeah. <laughs> and and <laughs> see, I, I have always said that I feel like my competitive edge as a filmmaker is that I was a skateboarder. Yeah. Because I have just like grit built into me to try something a thousand times and fail. Yes. And then also like you're driving in the car and you're looking for like a spot you know what i mean something that you can skate in the street yeah. and it's like you're constantly looking at the world 
through a creative lens. And even now, like not skateboarding like I used to, yeah. I can't help but drive in the car and be like, that would be so sick if yeah. I was 16 years old yeah. still. But um, I, think it, I think it affects the way we approach business. So yeah. in uh, my family, we actually tease a lot because my wife's a rule follower. Like if, if there's, you know, some sort of sign posted or you're supposed to do something a certain way, she's like, no, we have to follow the rules. I'm the opposite. If I see a sign that says no skateboarding, that means there's a good skate spot somewhere around here. Yes. I'm skateboarding. <laughs> and so like the way we approach business with that is the same way is it's like, I don't know or care what your rules are. I'm doing it the way I think it needs to be done. And that's changed the way 3D motion graphics industry, like studios are approaching business because it's completely the opposite of the way it's being done in other cities. <laughs> I love that, man. So um, I want to, I want to, go to the business um, so that we, we can expand on that. But tell me a little bit really quickly on like, that was where you started. Now, where yeah. are you at and what does your business look like? Yeah, so um, right now we're 21 employees. Uh, we're located here in Wiley, Texas, and we're working with everybody from Louis Vuitton in Paris, Lancome in Milan, uh, you know, Nike, you name it. We're working with three different NFT, NFL teams right now on delivering for their season openers, things like that. Uh, a lot of footwear. I'm a sneakerhead myself, and so I really enjoy a lot of the uh, footwear spots that we get to work on. Uh, and we're in all different industries, um, luxury, sneaker, sports, um, all kinds of industries like boats, you name it. Uh, so it's it's all over the place as far as what we get to work on uh, on a weekly basis. And I think that's part of what keeps this place as exciting is it's like we're not just doing sports graphics or we're not oh. just doing sneaker spots or or just doing a certain we're not focused on like one industry. Like one day you're literally working on something CG for makeup and you're really like pushing yourself as an artist to do something that's luxurious and elegant. And then the next day you're like taking a Nike Air Force One and you're animating it to turn into a demon. You know, mm -hmm. so it's like super, super random and a lot of creative uh, freedom. Yeah. yeah, I love it. That's dude. awesome. And, and, and y'all got to check out the Super Boats uh, commercial they just put out yeah, uh, recently. Yeah. <laughs> it is sick. I've been uh, following you guys for a long time on Instagram and if you're not following them, go follow them right now. It's a must-follow page for it's sure. It's tons of entertainment, and it's just crazy stuff that you guys put together. But uh, that's awesome, man. Yeah. The variety of clients does open up that Pandora's box, right? Where yeah. it's like it makes work not feel like work because you're getting to create every day. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So knowing where you started at as like the skateboarder who's who turns freelancer and now you have, you know, this 3D company, what do you think really helped give you traction in the beginning yeah. to to get to where you're at now because for those who are listening to this those little um pieces just of advice on how they can grow their own production companies i think they can take something away from that so what was something that helped you gain traction early on to start scaling out yeah so i think it, it's it's super helpful to plug into subcultures mm. and kind of make yourself known within subcultures and so um, like I was designing for my local skate shops mm -hmm. and I was building my portfolio by doing, you know, skateboard graphics, uh, skateboard videos, things like that. 
you know, we mentioned church as well. I was plugged into uh, that kind of subculture, if you will, and was creating media for churches where I got to like really expand my creativity, try a bunch of things. Uh, and, and so um, through those subcultures, you meet people, you make connections, uh, and you're able to kind of grow your, your network um, in a variety of ways. And so I think to a certain degree, I don't know if this is exactly correct, but I would assume that because of some of the brands that I was working with through skateboarding, that kind of put me on the radar of like people at Nike, mm -hmm. as far as like, they're always looking for the next trends, things like that. I was creating things for brands like early, you know, 2000s, I'm working with LRG, like the height of LRG's fame, you know, uh, working with DGK and things like that. So I, I would assume that that's kind of what helped me get on Nike's radar to be able to start doing projects with them as a solo artist. And then for me, I had done so much in my career before I even started ABC. I had, you know, I had laid out 300 page textbooks using cork design and InDesign. Uh, I had also built websites using Macromedia Flash and Dreamweaver. <laughs> Uh, I had done video editing with Final Cut Pro and uh, eventually kind of found 3D animation and found my voice in 3D animation and also digital artwork uh, using 3D software for those things. And so uh, I, I would say a lot of that kind of worked together to be like this perfect storm of like getting me on the radar with Nike. And then because I had done so many things, I never viewed myself as a freelancer. So from day one, I was, I'm a studio. The studio's already been chewed. I'm not freelancing on a day rate. I'm not going into other studios. I can do you literally your annual report or your full spot that goes on NBC TV. And I was doing that for certain companies uh, when I first started out all by myself. Like everything from, <laughs> like I said, no lie, I was doing catalog, you know, website, email, threads, like you name it, uh, all kinds of stuff. And I was kind of doing it all when I first started out and then was able to just kind of like start, eh, I'm not going to do that. Eh, we're not going to do that. We're going to just focus on, on this. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think there's so much value to doing that. Like when you, when you're building something from the ground up and you have to learn every single department, like there's value in knowing that. Um, but then eventually you want to outgrow that um, yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so when I look at y'all's work, y'all, y'all seem to have like a niche in like the 32nd spot, like ish yeah. space. Tell me about like the type of projects that you feel like you guys focus on and that you yeah. are most passionate about creating. In general, it's a lot of storytelling around product launches. <clears throat> so, um, like we've talked about all different brands, all different IP. We've worked with Marvel IP, Disney. We did the 90th anniversary for them. Um, we did the 50th anniversary for Vans. Uh, we did uh, the, shoot, uh, losing track. There's another pretty milestone anniversary. Oh, the 30th anniversary of the Air Force One. Oh, uh, so it's, you know, we've been able to do a lot of like, uh, you know, product-based releases. Yeah. Um, 
in that we're still doing visuals for other categories, you know, so we're doing stadium graphics. Uh, like I mentioned, we're currently working with three different NFL teams. Um, so all of their ribbons, yeah. main boards, uh, and, but it's still story driven. And uh, a lot of what we're doing is telling stories behind a product. And so we've received certain products and we'll get them and we're like, man, this thing's so corny. <laughs> like this thing is awful well let's come up with something cool for this yeah yeah uh, but by the end of it we're all kind of looking around and we're like oh, this is actually kind of a cool thing isn't it like and, and so we were starting to see like the power of the storytelling that we're doing through the visuals and it was like oh you start to realize like that's why they hire us because when I was just a solo artist, it was like, oh, cool. People like my artwork. They're hiring me for my artwork. And that's all you, you don't think of it as a business model. It's just kind of like, oh, people are willing to pay me to create this cool digital artwork or this little 3D animated spot. Uh, and, and then over time, it shifts into like, okay, why do people pay me to do this again? Mm. And then you start to figure out like, that's why. And it's like, because I took this product that we all thought was kind of lame. And by the time we developed this full campaign for it, we're able to give a perspective to a consumer that they wouldn't necessarily see if it's just sitting on a shelf in a store or whatever. Yeah. And so then you start to realize, wow, like we were able to like really create something that you can't unsee. And once you see it, you're hooked to a certain degree. Uh, and so a lot of what we're doing is based around uh, product launches uh, and trying to bring to life the stories behind the products, whether it's the ingredients that make it up, the materials, things like that. And uh, I have a very short attention span. Um, it's really hard for me to even sit through a movie. Um, I refuse to go see Avatar in the movie theater. Like that just sounds like torture to me. Uh, so I actually rented it this weekend and I treated it like a Netflix miniseries. I watched like 45 minutes at a time and watched it over the course of like three or four sessions yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. on different nights. Uh, so part of that short attention span is I love movie trailers. Movie trailers are like the best part of a movie anyway. Mm, yeah. And so um, I've always wanted us to, to like move towards production level where it's like we're telling these stories about products, but we're doing it like a movie trailer would do it. And we're doing it in 15 to 30 seconds. Uh, and it can look and feel like it's the best part of a movie. Um, mm. And so we've kind of fallen into that uh, that kind of creative category yeah. on, on a lot of what we're doing. That's super cool, man. The, I mean, just in general, the trend for short form content is exploding yes. right now, way more than long form. And, you know, it's, it's affecting what we do hugely yeah. as well. Um, I, I'm fascinated by the story component of, of what y'all do. Cause even for me, like I think about the 3d animation and a lot of times story doesn't come to mind like right off the bat, but that's super cool that, you know, we always talk about story first, like you yeah. can have terrible visuals, but yeah. if the story is compelling, yep. then someone's gonna wanna watch it. Yeah. Um, and so that's interesting that even from an animation standpoint, you guys still yeah. take that approach and push it forward. So I'm, I'm interested in what that looks like in the pre-production phase, 
like, yeah. do you guys just sit around and say, what is the story for this product? Like, what does pre-pro look like when you're doing a new campaign? Yeah, so it, it varies. A lot of times the clients will come to us and they have a new product and they have features and that's about it. And so then it's up to us to kind of figure out, okay, what's the best way to portray this? And I've always tried to be really big on designing with purpose uh, or telling a story that gives purpose to what we're doing. I get so triggered when I just see like really beautiful CG work, but it was like, okay, why is this laptop being caressed by fabric right now? Like, mm -hmm. what does this have to do with anything like yeah like if, if this product is being caressed with fabric it, it needs to make sense as to why there's fabric <laughs> like <laughs> is it just because it's the new cool cg trick i don't i don't know but we need to like tell we need to have purpose to what we're doing and so pretty much everything we're doing is built around like telling a story and what's the purpose behind it so if we're if we're showing fabric weaving is not just because it's some cool weaving technique that we just figured out it's because we need to show off that there's a new type of prime knit or fly knit or something like that uh, that needs to be part of the product's uh, storyline there and so you mentioned the super spot uh, that we did recently and there's like alligators in the spot and stuff like that and and so part of the thinking behind that was they had a new sound system that they were coming out with and we needed to do a hero video for the new boat that was also coming out and so it was like okay this could be one video we're showing off the new boat but we're also introducing the new sound system as part of it and so looking into sound waves and the way they affect everything from you know there's online videos on youtube of audio waves moving magnetic particles out of the way affecting water you know one of the big scenes that came to mind in developing the creative for this one was jurassic park probably the very first jurassic park video when the dinosaur is off in the distance and you see the cup of water just yeah. going mm -hmm. iconic and, and so there's a moment in the super video that's like we need something like that we're gonna have like a droplet come down mm -hmm. And the droplet's not just coming down for no reason. We needed a detailed close-up shot of the interior of the boat. So we're showing off the materials of the interior of the boat while that water droplet is chasing down. And then it's landing in the cup of water to show the new sound system kicks on and all the chaos breaks across the lake and the waves are generating out from you know the audio that's being produced from the new speakers in the boat. So every little thing kind of had its its purpose and its reason, uh, even down to the uh, there's some water on the back of the alligator and the water is bouncing up and down as the the music is going off in the distance from the speakers. And uh, we had actually worked that into the creative brief um, that we were like going over with the client and it happened to be a happy accident that you know, because they're in the boating space, they're on lakes, they're familiar with alligators and things like that, that that's actually something that happens in nature on the on alligators it is like they have like this system and sonic waves will actually bounce the water off the backs oh. of the alligator. And we didn't know that we just thought it'd be a cool effect. And so when they saw that, 
you know, it was kind of like connecting the dots of, you know, mm. Wish we could have said we planned that, but <laughs> dude, it added more purpose to what we were oh doing. Oh my god, I love that, and that's just one video, man. Like that's, it's so cool to me that you know you guys got thousands of videos, and that level of detail just goes into the background, you know, elements of what brings y'all's video together. And uh, you also just did a video for Celsius too. Yeah, yes. yeah, <laughs> which was super dope. The yeah. cosmic uh, drop that they did. Yeah. Um, anything yeah. like yeah that. we've been working with them for a little while yeah. um originally um just liked the brand celsius uh totally different take on energy drinks uh i don't know if it is but it feels healthier than like a monster yeah, yeah, yeah. uh from a branding perspective they've definitely gone more of like healthy fitness yeah. lifestyle and so we had been wanting to work with them and our first opportunity to work with them was on um a flavor that they released called Fantasy Vibe. And so we wanted to really do something kind of elegant and high-end and premium and doesn't feel like a energy drink like spot. And so the goal there was to almost make it feel like some of the Louis Vuitton work that we had done. Uh, and and so that it would fit also that kind of fantasy feel to the the title of the flavor that was there. So that was the first project we did with them. We've done several other uh, flavor releases with them. We did an Oasis vibe and then Cosmic Vibe is the newest one uh, that you yeah. mentioned there. And that yeah. one's like completely like outer space, yeah. kind of space cowboy vibes there. <laughs> Super cool, man. Yeah. Um, and all of this is done in Cinema 4D for the most part. Cinema correct? 4D and uh, Houdini. Yeah. Uh, we will use After Effects for kind of final bringing everything together yeah i mentioned this earlier but since everything we're doing is like 30 seconds 15 yeah. seconds six seconds uh every once in a while you get the minute minute and a half long videos yeah but we kind of bailed on on premiere or any kind of like final yep. cut editing software yeah uh because we can get it in after effects short timeline uh that's only 30 seconds or so and then we can add any kind of 2d animated motion graphics right there in after effects any kind of black and white mats that we've kicked out with our 3D renders, yeah. we just kind of all finish it in After Effects rather than adding a layer of uh, yeah. Premiere to it or anything or so, to Resolve or anything. Yeah, yeah. So, so how long do you feel like it really took you to take ownership of that program and really know Cinema your way? 4D? Yeah, because a lot of people yeah. find 3D animation super intimidating, right? Sure. Like from the outside looking in and yeah. even like knowing the industry, like it's a very complex yeah. process. Um, how did you get started doing that? Like where, where other people can start as well? Yeah. Well, I guess maybe this will be encouraging is uh, to that end. I was kind of a late bloomer. I didn't even pick up 3d animation or cinema 4d until I was in my thirties. Uh, and so at that time I had been doing graphic design. So I was, you know, a designer. I had an eye for design. Uh, also always just loved like illustration. Um, and so it was more than like just typography and things like that were always, you know, some of what I was doing. Uh, so by the time I started doing motion graphics, I was able to bring kind of like a graphic designers mentality to the work that I was doing, which translated really well into broadcast graphics. So I used to do a lot of openers for ESPN, Fox Sports, uh, Discovery Channel, things like that. Uh, but 
3D is such a big kind of intimidating world. And I think you you just have to kind of experiment and figure out the parts that you're most passionate about, uh, because otherwise you are going to get overwhelmed with like, well, I don't know how to rig a character. I don't know how to, you know, do these simulations of water. There's like so much that you might not know how to do. Yeah. Uh, but you got to kind of find the areas that one you're most interested in and then two that you feel like you'd want to do all day long. So I don't learn anything that I can't see myself wanting to do all day, every day. Mm. So like, I don't, I don't know how to rig a character to save my life because I looked at that 15 years ago. I was like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not learning that. <laughs> so I think if I have any advice, it's like, don't learn stuff that you don't see yourself doing all day, every day. <laughs> yeah, solid advice. That's, That's good, man. Good. So I'm curious, like as an artist, uh, we've talked about this several times, when you go out and build a business, like a production company or a studio, it so often pulls you out of the art that you originally got into the business to begin with. Yeah. How involved in the process of creating the art, are you still, yes. you know, while, while running ABC? So to go to the first part of that statement is, I think I've, I hear that quite a bit as far as like, you know, you, you start out doing the artwork and then you grow a business and you can no longer be part of the artwork. And it sounds kind of like a lonely, miserable existence uh, for a lot of business owners. Um, or studio owners or things like that. And I think, I think you're approaching it wrong if you're doing it that way. Um, so for instance, um, I obviously like huge shout out to my team here, incredible team here. Um, and so for me, it was a matter of, like I mentioned earlier, well, I'm not, I can't see myself learning how to do this or this or this, but I've got some cool clients and I got some budgets where I feel like I could hire some people. So why not go get somebody that can do it better than I ever could or would? Mm-hmm. And so now I'm not, I'm not building a team to do things instead of me. Uh, I'm building a, do, building a team that can do things that I can't do so that I can do what I want to do. And so I've always looked for like, if I'm gonna grow and hire somebody else, how are they going to free me up so that I can do only what I want to do, whether it's part of the artistic pipeline, whether it's part of the business side of things. Uh, And so I've always approached it in that way. Okay. I'm getting worn out talking to clients. Is there somebody else that I could hire that would do it better than I could do it? Or their energy isn't sucked dry after they've been in five meetings for the day. They kind of enjoy that thing, you know? Uh, and so let me see if I can get that off of my plate, you know? Um, or or any of those things, like uh, Houdini's a good one. Like Houdini became really popular maybe six or seven years ago. And at that time we were all Cinema 4D and I just drew the line. I was like, man, I can't. I've tried to dive into Houdini. I, I can't do that. And so it was like, well, I'm not going to like sit here depressed over the fact that I'm not willing to take the time to learn this. Let me see if I can hire somebody that does Houdini and just grow from there. So I, I view it more as like incredibly exciting. It's almost like being, 
I'm, I'm a basketball fan, so I use a lot of basketball metaphors, but it's, it's almost like being a player coach or just like a coach of a basketball team. And imagine the excitement of a coach when he finds out he gets to work with both Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving and hopefully some more talent at some point, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, and so it's like, wow, like I literally just brought in LeBron James and I just brought in like, you know, Kevin Durant, like, this is amazing. What do you, what kind of games could we play and win if I'm working with Kevin Durant and LeBron James? Like, this is awesome, <laughs> you know? Stoked, and so that's man. how I feel about the team that I've built here. I love that, dude. And it's invigorating to hear that too, because yeah. I think, you know, we do get, I, I especially get kind of lost in the art and the work of the business, right? And I am yeah. in that phase of trying to replace myself in certain ways so now yeah i needed to hear that man that's great to hear that you know i'm sure that i'm sure you've had maybe some of the process and struggles throughout but it sounds like you're at a really good spot now where you you do get to enjoy the the art and the business and do the things that you liked yeah, because of your sure. team that you found yeah yeah absolutely that's awesome man one cool thing that i've heard you mention um before is just the motivation behind how you build your company yeah. is is around a company that you would want to work for yeah um can you talk on that because i want to yeah. hear just like your two cents on on just like how you're motivated by that for sure so even just back to you know 13 years ago being a solo artist but functioning more like a studio or an agency if you will uh i was always looking at it like i, I go back even further before i even decided to go out on my own the question in my mind was like does anybody else want to do this or work here? Do I want to do this or work here? So I had a day job, I'm freelancing nights and weekends. And the biggest question I always had was like, why quit a day job that I'm enjoying if the work that I'm doing nights and weekends is just to make some extra money? Am I excited about the work that I'm doing nights and weekends or did I only fill a schedule, make some extra cash for my family at Christmas time? Sweet. Or is the work I'm doing nights and weekends more exciting than the work that I'm doing during the day? If the work that I'm doing nights and weekends is more exciting than what I'm doing during the day, then why would I not move that over and turn that into something a little bit more full time? Because I don't want to quit my job just because I seemingly am making a little more money while I'm freelancing but I don't even really love the clients that I'm freelancing for. I prefer what I'm doing during the day. So it's a big part of the mentality is like, okay, can I fill my schedule? And then can I fill it with stuff that I love? If I can fill it with stuff that I love, there's a better chance of getting other people to come work with me on this. And so like I mentioned, you know, Nike early on being one of the clients that I was working with, I was like, who wouldn't want to come work here? <laughs> you know, like if you're a 3D animator, motion graphics artist, like, like, why wouldn't you want to get, like, that was my mentality. Uh, you know, I don't know if everybody views it that way, but I was like, yeah, I could build off of this. Like, we're not doing like a bunch of like quick crappy projects that now I got to go find some suckers to crank out crap for me. It's like, no, like this stuff is pretty awesome. Like, I think inviting people to this party is going to be a good thing. Like I'm not going to invite people to come to like something that is lame and sucks, <laughs> you know? And so that's part of the whole mentality of like, 
do I want to work here? And if I don't, something's got to change. Right. And that was always like early on, like, okay, we're two, three, four people in size and just stepping back and logically saying like, is this better or more interesting than just taking an art director role at one of these shoe brands that I'm yeah. working with? Like, which would I prefer? And thankfully, the clients were good, the projects were good, things were growing. Uh, otherwise, I would have just been like, why, why am I dealing with this realtor that wants me to animate his web banner? <laughs> why did I hire people to come work on this with me? Like, you know, yeah. it's like, no, like this is, this is fun work. It's exciting work. See if anybody else wants to join. Yeah. Uh, and that's really as simple as it was. Uh, it wasn't like some master business strategy. It was just like, I got a lot of work. I'm slammed. I could use some help. What's the part that I could use help with? And thankfully the work was interesting enough to attract some incredible yeah. team members. That's cool, man. I think, um, one that, that sounds like the dream, like just do projects that you find are cool and yeah. whatnot. <laughs> yeah. It's like, who wouldn't build a business model around that? Yeah. But I think I, I would say that I have not always been able to do that. Like, sure. and I think like, yeah. you know, some people, when you're getting started, like you got to do the, the realtor projects, yep. you got to get the experience under your belt even before getting the cool clients under your belt. Yeah. So for those and that's who, where me being a late bloomer came in. Yeah. I did 14 years of stuff. You all will never know. About. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, and that's yeah. good. So like when you're in that 14 year grind, yeah. like you've been in there, yeah. what advice do you have for people that want to change what their clientele looks like? Yeah. Um, because so many people are, are doing the hustle for the dollar yeah. with the person that they yeah. don't want to make content for. And it's not fulfilling. Yeah. I as almost quit. I almost I, like seven years into my career, I almost was like, I'm, I'm sick of this. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to be doing graphic design anymore. And, uh, around that time is when I discovered motion graphics. So mm. shifted into motion graphics, fell in love with motion graphics. And so, uh, to your question though, I only post what I want to do more of. So if I don't want to do more. I, I kind of joked about like the real estate video. If I don't want to do more real estate videos or weddings or whatever, you know, is, is considered the bad project by a particular industry, don't post it. Uh, only post what you want to work on. And so I may have been doing some lame projects, but I'm posting the skateboard graphics that I did. Uh, I'm posting, you know, this cool spot that I did for my church that gave me lots of creative freedom. And I'm not going to post any of the other stuff that I don't want more of, you know? Yeah, I think, I mean, just in how you market yourself online, you know, I mean, showing only the stuff that you want to do more of. Yeah. It, it checks out. So uh, you guys do a ton on social media right now. Is that, how is that affecting like your client? the clients that you're attracting yeah. right now, or how do you go about attracting the clients that you're yeah, it's, working it's with? It's huge. Like, you know, so much of business is through word of mouth and social media is word of mouth. Uh, so I have kind of two different strategies with my social media. My personal one is, believe it or not, there's a strategy behind my personal one, even though it seems like it's all over the place. 
people can't work with me or with ABC if they've never heard of me or if they don't know who I am. <laughs> and so I need them to know who I am in order to want to work with me. And on my personal one, I am strategically posting things from ABC's work to things about myself because I also, I know that birds of a feather flock together. And so if I'm posting a fitness post or a skateboarding post or a post about my family or a post about me renovating my house, <clears throat> things like that, I'm going to end up attracting people that are interested in that kind of stuff. And I want them to realize there's, there's an actual human being behind the business that I'm doing with ABC. And so, yeah, I want you to see a photo of me with my family on Easter Sunday, because when you call me to give me revisions, you better have that image burning in your head and the way you talk and the way you respond needs to reflect that. Like, you know, like uh, we're people and it's, we're not just like some nameless, faceless brand, like, like there's gotta be a personal connection. And so I'm constantly meeting, connecting and like becoming friends with like art directors from all these brands that I want to work with. There's people that I've been chatting with for five, 10 years on social media, never worked with them yet, but they're well aware. They love, they interact with everything that we're doing and they work at some huge brands that hopefully we'll work with someday. Uh, so that's on the personal side. It's, it is strategic in that way. Like I want people to connect with a person that they would like to work with at some point. Yeah. And then on the ABC side, we're super aggressive on making sure content is out there like every single day because uh, we we have no local clients. Like we're not going and we're not... We're not going to agencies and bringing beer and hoping that somebody will come to our meeting and look at our capabilities like that. We've never done that, never will do that. Uh, and so people are finding out about us online. Uh, and that's how we're working with clients all over the globe from Brazil to Singapore to Paris, Milan, uh, all over the place. Yeah. And that's actually what connected you and I is just like keeping up with one another on social media. And it's like, we yeah. had like a connection, but it's like, oh, I've, I'm seeing the stuff that you're doing on social and, yeah. and whatnot. And I think there's something to be said too, that people want to work with people they like. And so often if they feel connected to you on a personal level, like your product could almost sometimes be second to them just liking you and wanting to work with people that they like. Yeah, for um, sure. And so that's super cool that even just like your personal brand is tied, you know, as heavily as it is to ABC. Yeah. Um, well, with that client culture that you're talking about, I feel like I just got to stop to and like admire the space we're in. Again, the <laughs> yeah. studio, you've got a great company culture, I feel like, you know, and I, you know, how much of that, and, and I feel like hearing about your background and, uh, you know, skateboarding and graphic design and all that, there's, and how you approach your projects. Can you talk about the thought process, even your company culture with your employees and then yeah. um, even the space that we're in right now, like what's kind of the thought behind that? And again, yeah. going back to you wanting to work here and be in this It's a hundred percent like, yeah. would I want to work here? My biggest fear is being the owner of a company I wouldn't want to work for. Mm. And so it was even like a huge decision when I 
was faced with, do I move out of my house or do I not move out of my house? Because I know what I don't want and I don't want carpet, carpet and cubicles. I don't want to go to work there. Why would I do that when I could just work at home and I have a really cool space that I built out in my house. And so, uh, had I not been able to find the right space, I probably wouldn't have even moved out of my house. Mm. Uh, you know, I had people offering me space down in Deep Ellum, but I was like, well, I live in Allen, like with traffic, like there's no way, like I, I am working late at night. I'm not going to drive home 30, 45 minutes at midnight yeah. after grinding. Um, and so we found a space in Allen, renovated that. And when I uh, renovated that, everything has kind of a similar vibe to the, the current space. It was just smaller versions of it. And everything's kind of inspired by skate shops, sneaker stores, uh, things like that. Um, and so I wanted a place where if I am working late at night, I don't feel like I'm trapped at work. I feel like I'm at a place that I would have go hang out anyway at night. And I'm literally just creating artwork mm. late at night. <laughs> and so that was kind of the, the vibe was like, does this feel like a coffee shop that I would hang out at? Yeah, absolutely. Does it feel like a sneaker store that I might go to? Yeah, absolutely. And oh yeah, I'm working on a project for a really dope brand right now uh, and things like that. So that was definitely some of the inspiration behind, you know, these are things that inspire me. And if they inspire me, hopefully they're inspiring others. And then it just kind of creates a culture of excellence as well as creativity um, with, with kind of just establishing the brand by having like brick and mortar that kind of brings the brand voice mm. out loud. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's part of the thinking there. And you've attracted talent. It sounds like you have talent now from all over too, right? You yes. were showing us some of that. And so you've attracted talent, like-minded individuals, I think too. And that yeah. just has built the company culture even more. Tell us about how does that, uh, how does that all work? Uh, what, what kind of system are you, you know, you told us about it earlier off yeah. camera, but what does that system look like? Yeah. So we have remote employees now. Uh, we have one in Spain, two in Greece, one in Armenia, one in Ukraine, uh, Nikolai's in Ukraine, uh, insane situation. Mm. He's literally in and out of bomb shelters throughout the day, throughout mm. the week. Uh, and then he's like literally coming back and he's animating the sickest thing ever for one of the coolest brands ever. Yeah. And then he's just back to the bomb shelter and comes back. It's, it's gnarly. It's I been can't going imagine on. just the mindset. It's been going on for two years. That's a documentary that we need to make. It that really is. It, like, guys, that is sick. like he's, we tell him like mm. every Monday, like how much we, we have a Monday meeting and stuff. And, and we're just like, dude, we don't know how you do it. If you need time off, like, yeah. and he says no, because it's the only thing that keeps him like sane right now is mm. being able to work on such cool projects. And, uh, and, and he'll, he'll see the feedback on Instagram and it just makes his day like mm. to see that stuff. Yeah. So I feel like as an artist, just so much of my mental health is tied to like what I'm doing with my art. And yeah. so like, I totally understand, you know, just like yeah, yeah. eating that outlet um, just for my own sanity, really. Uh, do you, do you feel like you need like X amount of, um, time, like doing your art just to feel like the fulfillment that you need to keep doing for me? Yeah. This is a controversial answer. <laughs> no. 
<laughs> I've thankfully been able to kind of learn and push my creativity through client work. So if I were to sit down and want to do a personal project, honestly, I'd probably grab a 3D model of a sneaker and create artwork around some sort of a sneaker based design. Uh, and so thankfully, the the clients and the projects that we've grown from have been all stuff that I'd be doing in my free time anyway. That's so awesome. <laughs> you talked about grabbing the sneaker and like that. Can you just walk us through this process? Because I've seen uh, and you kind of you told us about how a client will bring you something and they just have features. Right. And yeah. You start. But, you know. Do you take a sneaker? Like, how do you how do you even start thinking about how you're going to animate this? Does it all you take it apart? Do you keep it yeah. a hold? Do you scan it? Like, what what does the process look like? No. So a lot of times they'll give us insight into the features themselves, you mm -hmm. know, and then some of it is learning to think of it in like forms of metaphors. Mm. Uh, so you know, obviously, if we're animating a sneaker. Does it actually have shocks inside of the shoe? No, it doesn't. But we're creating a visual that exaggerates like the comfort or the springiness, uh, things like that. Uh, so that portion of it is just trying to think through um, the features themselves and ways that you can visually communicate something without having to spell it out mm -hmm. to people. Um, and so you kind of mentioned earlier, like you all do so much storytelling in video, but a lot of times it's a person telling a story. Mm -hmm. And so what we do is, you know, if a picture is worth a thousand words, well, how many words can you say when that picture starts moving? Mm. And so uh, our storytelling is not necessarily through, through words or through scripts, but it's a visual that happened and it moved and within three seconds, you just caught this whole thing about the technology of the shoe that you maybe didn't even realize it until you've watched it or you've experienced it. And then you're like, oh yeah, now that I've seen that, I can't unsee it. That's how it feels when I'm running in this shoe or when I'm putting this fragrance on or whatever. So that was so good. Yeah, he said, like if a picture music. is worth a thousand words, how many, how many more words, words if you start moving it? <laughs> dude, that's so good. That's oh, yeah. so good. Um, dude, you got a really cool, inspiring story on how you got connected with Street League. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> can, can you share, for those who haven't heard it, yeah. how you got connected with that industry? Yeah, for sure. So I was already doing professional motion graphics for different networks I'd mentioned earlier. And uh, longtime skateboarder, of course, and Street League skateboarding had just started. And it was basically like the NBA for skateboarders. And I was really excited. I was all for it because I'm like, man, skateboarders, you look at load managing and basketball, and then you look at what skateboarders go through. Like, skateboarders will literally <laughs> break their wrist, get up, and keep filming the, the trick and keep going mm. for it. And then once the cast is on, they go back and keep filming. Like, oh. there's no load managing and skateboarding, you know? And so I'm like, these guys deserve a lot of money. Like, they are worth every penny. And so uh, I was really hoping Street League would turn into, like, an NBA for skateboarders and wanted to be a part of that. And so... I attended the event uh, the very first year that they had it and just kind of sat in the audience and thought to myself, man, like they 
are not being branded by skateboarders, uh, whether it was the the TV show graphics package on ESPN uh, or the arena graphics. And I was like, I got to somehow work with them because I am a skateboarder, but I also do professional motion graphics. So one day on Twitter, Street League put out a tweet uh, saying that they were looking for interns. And I was like, well, I don't want, I don't want to be an intern, but someone's looking at emails. So I went ahead and just typed up a full proposal about what I felt uh, I could do for Street League, being a professional motion graphics artist, but also being a skateboarder, and basically came up with this full proposal of why it needed to be branded by skateboarders for skateboarders, and I could tell that it was non-skateboarders that were doing it. And, uh, and so I sent it off to the email address for the internship, and then I was like, well, wait a minute. Why don't I just try and email Rob? So I started guessing email addresses for Rob Dyrdek. And then a few days later, got back this email and it simply said, let's do this. And of course I thought somebody was messing with me because I'm like, I just proposed like a year's worth of work. They can tell that I'm just randomly guessing email addresses and they're messing with me. But then like 24 hours later, uh, Brian Atlas was the general manager of Street League at that time. And he called me up and he was like, Congratulations. I don't know how or why Rob cared about your work. You have a better chance of winning the lottery than getting his attention. And he's like, but he loves your work. And he told me to reach out and get something going with you. Uh, and so that was kind of the initial start of that. And then worked with Street Lee Skateboarding for years and then worked directly with Rob on a variety of projects for MTV, Fantasy Factory, um, ridiculousness which is still on and still uses our graphics <laughs> so, cool. so y'all did the main graphic for ridiculousness ridiculousness and wow. all of the so interstitials sick. every time there's a new category that pops up yeah. we did it like 10 years ago i wish we were getting royalties on those yeah <laughs> so cool yeah Dude, it's such an inspiring story just i i heard about it and i was like i can't believe he went out and just guessed email addresses got it right yeah. <laughs> and then you know, got to work with Street League because yeah. of that. And especially as a skateboarder, like that is, that's, I, I would say the Olympics, but they just put it to the Olympics, but it's like the yeah. biggest skateboarding competition in the world. It's a big yeah. deal. Yep. Um, so yeah, and super... then the art director from Street League went on to work for Nixon. We started working with Nixon. And then through Nixon, we got to work with uh, Marvel IP as well as uh, Disney IP. Oh, Snowball, wow. just wow. household name brand clients. Yeah. <laughs> so cool, man. Yeah. Um, well, we want to get you out of here. Uh, but before we do, man, I just want to tell you that I have been inspired by coming to the studio, by seeing a hometown skateboarder climb the ranks, like to, to build what you have built now. And so Thanks, uh, <laughs> it's super cool, like just see, being in the house that you built off of you know, making videos that started out like in your house, just like a lot of the other yeah. people listening. So super inspiring. When you walk in here, you can tell it's built um, just with vision. And I see the vision that you guys are moving towards. So super so, inspired mm -hmm. by being here. What is next for Already Been Chewed, man? And what is next for Barton? Yeah, um, you know, I think every uh, entrepreneur should work towards creating people or hiring people, creating processes and systems so that a business can function with or without them. Because if something happens to me, 
you know, things like that. It's not fair to a whole group of people if uh, if their livelihood can't continue because I have health issues, a car hits me, I hit my head skateboarding. <laughs> so I'm definitely uh, I'm definitely very motivated to have those people and those processes in place so that I can have a business that is uh, very sustainable. Um, and so for me personally, uh, I'm in a season where I get to work on the business, not in the business. Um, and so that's been really good to, to kind of transition into that role more recently. Um, and then as far as, as a company, we're always continuing to just like push ourselves as artists and the mediums change. So, you know, I mentioned I've done catalogs, I've done video, I've done websites, done 3D animation. We're currently as a studio looking at Unreal, all of the real-time options, AI, all of those options. And I think it's really just looking at like, what's the medium to express our creativity and continue to push ourselves as artists in a way that is valuable and relevant and not just like art for art's sake. Like I mentioned, like, we like to design with purpose and we like to tell stories that actually like are relevant uh, versus just abstract for the sake of abstract. And so uh, I think the exciting part is the technology is always changing and the landscape of things is constantly changing. And so it is a little bit hard to say like, here's where we're going to be five years from now. Because if you even think of like the whirlwind of the NFT market, nobody could have told you, well, we'll be doing NFTs. NFTs didn't exist. And then they came on, boom, and they were like a massive hit and companies started to shift and a lot of companies would have told you, here's our roadmap and our five-year plan with the NFTs. And that lasted about five months, you know? And so I think ultimately uh, the goal has to be continue to learn uh, and continue to pivot and adapt, uh, all with like the goal of keeping creative at like the top priority. Um, and that's really all you can do because I think, you know, there's a whole new world that will be coming with augmented reality. And I think we'll have a, a some really exciting opportunities in that space. Uh, but a lot of it is just going to depend on what what takes off and what sticks. And what do you chase and what do you not chase? Um, that's the hard part these days. Yeah, dude, so good, man. Um, before we get you out of here, we got five questions that we like to ask every yeah. guest we have on the show. My first question for you is, if you could do it all again, mm -hmm. what is one thing you would do differently in your career? Do differently? Hmm. Sorry, I'm stalling on some of these no. impromptu questions. It's, it's <laughs> funny because when we ask this question, it's like the biggest question of all. There's yeah. no ease into it. But, yeah. But really, it's like if you could spare somebody else who's who's in the industry, you know, on the come up right now, what's one thing that you had to painfully go through that you could save somebody else from having to learn the hard way? Man, that's a... That's a tough one because, you know, there have been from the outside perspective and even just from listening to this interview, it probably sounds like it's all been peaches and roses, uh, but that's not the case. There's definitely been long, difficult, um, you know, learning experiences. I, I guess I would say, you know, I've never worked for a large studio before. 
And so maybe that's helped in a lot of ways. Cause I mentioned like the skateboarding mentality of like, I'll do it my own way anyway, regardless of what the rules are. But it, it maybe it would have been nice to have worked for a larger studio so that I know what the rules are that I want to break. <laughs> uh, that's so that's something that's experience I don't have. I've never worked for a large studio or even know how they've done it. Yeah. Uh, but again, that that could be good. So yeah, I yeah. could have learned some really bad habits, I suppose. Whereas yeah. this has been more of like, what do I need yeah. to get through tomorrow? What kind of personnel do I need to help me yeah. with this or that? Um, but I do think younger artists tend to want to like jump out on their own or advance their careers way too quickly. Mm. Like we'll have people that want to be art directors by the time they're 25 years old. And it's like, bro, like pace yourself. What are you going to do by the time you're 30? (laughs) (laughs) You know, like you're just going to be done with this industry altogether. Like, you know, so. uh, (laughs) That's, that's good, man. Um, I know that we've talked about before, just you can save yourself a lot of the stress and the heartache of like failing with clients and not getting invoices and like paid and just a lot of the stuff that young filmmakers go through because they start at in freelance versus if you start with a company you're able to one have like a constant flow of work and not you know what i mean like you're able to have them deal with the clients and deal with the negotiations and handle the paperwork do the taxes right all that stuff yeah and so i think there's a lot of value in in not jumping into that one-man band right off the rip and going and working for the uh working for the man like early on in your career just so you can learn how the big players do it right and you yeah. can start doing it right early on yep so yeah there's uh there's kind of a, a timeline where in your 20s you'll be figuring out what you want to do with your career and so that's where i was video editing website building laying out you know catalogs and things like that to a certain degree and then in your 30s is probably where you're going to be working the hardest you've ever worked in your entire life so that in your 40s you can make the most money that you've ever made in your entire life and so if people can kind of keep that in check (laughs) like a lot of people feel like by the time they're 28 years old (laughs) they should be you know zillionaires and have hit the peak of their careers <laughs> that explains a lot why Guilty. i'm so tired while i'm tired why i'm so tired in my 30s yeah. right now in my late 30s yeah. but i'm right around the corner of the 40s so i'm ready for yeah. it yeah I'm, I'm the guilty 28 year old thing he's got to have it figured out already yeah. Um, yeah. man what excites you most right now about the current film industry and market yeah I think that the fact that the technology uh, is allowing us as artists to push ourselves further and further. So things that we can do now, like a super spot with an alligator and all that water simming that's going on, like those are things that weren't possible two to five years ago, you know, Mm. things like that without without being an enormous company, you know, with multi multi million dollar budgets, you Mm. know, things like that. And so the technology continues to advance and so for us it's almost like we're kids in a candy store it's like ooh, new tech what's it going to allow us to do now that Mm -hmm. we didn't think we could do two years ago and that's part of why it's difficult to say what are we going to be doing five years from now 
I don't know. <laughs> the tech's probably going to be amazing. And right. Yeah. We'll just be doing bigger and bigger productions and it'll be easier to do it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. It's, it's getting easier and easier to do our job at like a certain level, but it's also pushing the craft yes. because it's getting yeah. easier. Like you have to output at a higher level because the competition will swallow you if you don't. I meant to even ask you like how y'all are keeping up like with the tech that's evolving. Cause even in the CGI space, like it's rapidly like oh, updates an, are coming it's bonkers, out. That, especially in the last few years, like you just feel like you're chasing everything and then yeah. you, you go down and you're like, never mind, we don't need to do that. And then you go down this hallway and hit a dead end. And it, it is, it's bonkers right That's now. Yeah. Nuts, dude. Um, what is one piece of advice you can give to filmmakers or 3D animators trying to grow in their craft or their business? Yeah, um, I would say Look for opportunities where a client allows you to push the creative and and recognize that opportunity. So, for instance, you probably heard the saying like, don't do work for cheap, either do it for free or do it for your rate. I'm against that. I'm the opposite of that. <laughs> Obviously, a skateboard shop doesn't have the budget that's needed to do it, you know, what I was doing for board graphics or animated intros or things like that. So if a client gives me an inch, I'm going to take a mile creatively. <laughs> and so if you get into a situation where you feel like you can push your portfolio and you feel like your client just doesn't have the budget that's there, I would absolutely take that on, make it a portfolio piece do it for cheap because no one has to know what you charge them the next but you've got to build your portfolio and so that thing that you do for this client that didn't have enough money is going to land you the other client and when the new client comes you don't charge them what you charge to do that and that that gives you a chance to do the cheap project but track your hours track your billing and know okay we definitely can't do that at this rate, the next person that wants something like this, it would, it's going to have to be this rate, mm -hmm. but at least you, you, you show and prove, because if you don't show and prove, you can't tell a client, oh, our budgets are anywhere from like 10 grand to a million. And they're looking at your portfolio and they're like, I don't see anything in your portfolio. That's a million dollar budget. Like you can't even say that with a straight face, you know, but if you can take the project that's got a $50,000 budget and you do what could be $200,000 worth of creative expertise in there. Well, the next time somebody comes around, you can legitimately show a project that looks like it's worth $250,000 and start charging that. And so I think definitely as a creative, whether a young creative or a younger company, um, look for opportunities where it's like okay this client doesn't quite have the budget but they're willing to let us like go ham on it mm. and so we're going to <laughs> yeah dude i love that i yeah I, I i've said before that i feel like passion is the secret ingredient to really elevating in your career because it gives you your very best product that you're then able to take your business and your portfolio to the next level yeah. having the passion to 
do something even when you're not getting paid what you should be paid for is going to yeah. give you that portfolio piece. And I, I feel like all of my projects that I've done that are my best work yeah. didn't start at uh, me getting paid what I should have been paid right. for it right off the gate. But the next client yeah. was the one that they saw that proof of concept. And yeah. now I was able to take my career to the next level. Yeah. So I think that's so good, man. I think it's the same with like, even if you're like in-house working at a place, you've got to have the mentality of show and prove. So they're not going to, they're not going to see you working at a certain level and approach you and say, well, if we give you a raise and a promotion, then you'll probably start performing better. It's like, no, you're like at this level and they see that you're, you're outperforming the level that you are within the company. Therefore, we know you can handle the raise and the promotion. And so you end up getting the raise and the promotion because you did it at the level uh, that was maybe lower than it needed to be. But to like, just kind of expect like, well, once you pay me enough, then I'll perform at that level. It's not gonna fly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. mm -mm. That's good, man. Um, where are we as an industry headed right now in filming? filmmaking and what should we be focusing on uh can you expand on that a little bit like so like typically when we do these a lot of our let me rephrase the question where is the like future of 3d animating yeah heading yeah so i mean we've touched on it a little bit real time is definitely uh being explored and trying to figure out you know augmented reality and how those things can coexist i don't I don't know, you know, obviously those who are first to market have the potential to, you know, rush the gold mine, if you will, the gold rush that's in every industry, but it's also quite expensive to, to be first to market. Um, and, you know, a lot of times that's going to take a lot of backing and a lot of pitching and uh, a lot of development that we don't have the resources to do here. Um, so with us, it is to a certain degree of, uh, to use a, a Drake lyric, it's not about who did it first, it's about who I did, did it, it right. right. There it is. And so we're allowing a lot of people to explore AR, VR, and real time right now, and then hopefully we'll come in and do it right when the time is right. It's good, man. I love Solid. it. What is one other animation that you've seen yeah. outside of ABC? Yeah. that has inspired you always hollywood films like you know worst movies ever but transformers are just so sick from yeah. like a animation mm. uh perspective so you know i mentioned the movie trailer aspect of things so i i definitely for us would love to be at a level where you see a spot that we create and you don't know whether or not it's the new marvel movie or some product animation uh, and for us, we would much rather work on something that's 30 seconds long than something that's two and a half hours long and takes five years to make. Mm. So, uh, I definitely look to, you know, Hollywood for inspiration there. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible, dude. Well, this has been such an amazing episode. I am super grateful one to just have us as guests in your house to to bless us with your wisdom your knowledge and it's cool to see what you've done in your career man and uh we appreciate your uh just time giving back to other people who are on the come up as well thanks yeah yeah man thanks this for is coming in 
Thank you, man. This has been an incredible episode of the Rough Cut Club, and we will catch you on the next episode.